Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, hey, you guys, um, thanks so much. And clapping twice, uh, you jumped the gun earlier. John said, come on, listen, guys. He said, there's a video, then when Ron comes. Oh, you're like, oh, yeah, we're so excited. So I'll take two rounds. That's totally fine. Um, we love you guys so much. Super thankful for every single one of you and those of you part of that online family today. Wherever you are, uh, we're thankful that you're here. If you're there uh, on the chat there on the online, then go ahead and let them know that you're there and let them know where you're from because we like to be praying for you as, uh, as you join us. Um, we're in this series, like John said, called The Story of the Universe, and we are covering the story of the universe. And that story of the universe is the story of the Word of God. Uh, from Genesis to Revelation, from front to back, this is the story of the universe. And what we're just hammering home is that Jesus is the central figure. He's the main character. And he's the central figure uh, throughout the whole story of Scripture, throughout the whole story of, of history. And so today, you guys, I don't have like advice, I don't have a bunch of tips. I don't have even a whole bunch of real great, quick, instantly applicable application for you. Uh, I don't have 12 steps to a better you today. But what I do have is Jesus. And I would just love to be able to share a little bit more of the story of Jesus and uh, where he's shown up in scripture, hammer home that he is that main character. Uh, we looked at the first week, he's the creator. Jesus didn't start in Bethlehem in a manger. Jesus is very nature God. He's always been, and he created everything. And then we looked last week at Jesus through the Old Testament. Before he came to earth, there's all these pointers to Jesus all throughout our Old Testament scriptures. And today we're going to take a look at Jesus in the New Testament. And uh, that, that's familiar territory if you've been around for a little while, but you can see why he came, well, the reasons that Jesus came to earth and what he established in his coming are like really important for us to, to catch today. His heart, you guys, is that, that you and I would find Jesus to be Lord. He's already King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Did you know that? He's already God Almighty. But the thing is, like, we like to play Lord. We like to play God. And kind of for all intents and purposes, we like to run our own lives. But his heart's desire is that, that we would invite him to, to be in our lives what he is to the whole universe already. And that is to be the Lord of our lives and our day-to-day -day and all our decisions. And so just kind of be processing what does your life look like with regard to Jesus being the Lord of your day-to-day, -day, your moment-to-moment? -moment? It's an important thing that we've all got to wrestle with at some point. And I've just got to say there's compelling evidence to put your faith, 
put your trust in Jesus, maybe even more than you'd put your faith and trust in you running your day to day. It's kind of like this. If you were driving down the road and you saw Jesus hitchhiking and you drove right by, whoa, whoa, that was Jesus back there. That's crazy. Wonder what he was doing there. And you just keep going. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Oh, probably not. If you're driving down the road, you saw Jesus hitchhiking, you pull over and you get out of the car and you go, wow, Jesus, this is crazy. What are you doing here? And you pop the trunk to the car of your life. And you say, hey, Jesus, uh, why don't you get in the trunk? And you cram Jesus in next to the spare tire and the trash or whatever. You slam the trunk lid shut. You get back in the car and you drive off. Well, I got Jesus in the trunk. This is cool, right, huh? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Probably not. If you're driving down the road, you saw Jesus hitchhiking, and you pull over, and you're like, hey, Jesus, why don't you get in the back seat? At least you can listen to my music. And this is cool, right? Jesus, at least you're going the same direction that I want to go. That's cool, right? Just don't talk too much from the back seat, Jesus, because I don't like a backseat driver. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Probably not. If you're driving down the road, you saw Jesus hitchhiking, not even if you pull over and you let him ride shotgun, Friends and family, precious brothers and sisters, Jesus doesn't want to ride shotgun in your life. His heart's desire is you be driving down the road, you see him hitchhiking, you pull over, you get out of the driver's seat, you pull the keys from the ignition, you walk over to him and you hand him the keys. You say, you drive, you take me where you want to go, you prove that you are trustworthy, I'll ride shotgun, you drive me. That's his heart's desire. Now all I'm saying is that there are seasons, long ones, even my own journey, where I have not wanted him sitting in the driver's seat of my life. And I've discovered that there's a real connection to what I know about Jesus and where I allow him to sit in my life. The more that I've got to know him over these years, the more it is that I've really entrusted him to sit in the driver's seat. At least the seasons have gotten longer between when I try to take over control. And if there's those moments, like I wake up on one day and I'm like, I just really want to drive today. Jesus, get out of the driver's seat. And my stubbornness and my own will, that happens. Those seasons have become, by the grace of God, fewer and farther in between. But he's just always so good and so patient and so faithful, even in those seasons allowing me to kind of make these choices that I want to make, steer and drive and whatnot. But he's always right there to say, uh, is it time? Is it time to let me back behind the steering wheel? You know, if he really is very nature God, and if he is as loving as he claims to be, if he's as faithful and powerful, then who else should be driving your life. It should be him. And I think this is just more evidence again today. The same Jesus that was the same yesterday, the same today, was same forever, is the one that really should be behind the seat of our life. And in the New Testament, go back to that timeline that Pastor John architected and wrote out this beautiful timeline from the beginning to the end. It represents what's taken place and what will take place. We have already covered everything up to the cross. Today, we're gonna cover from just right before the cross all the way 
up to the end just before Revelation. And that precious pastor of ours has entrusted me to teach Revelation in one dose next week, uh, so prayers ahead of time would be appreciated. But today we're going to cover the New Testament, Jesus through the New Testament. And uh, if you're taking notes or whatever, same, you can take pictures, you can go online, grab the study guide. But a good summary of the New Testament, New Testament get broke up into these three categories of books of the New Testament. Uh, there are history books in the New Testament, there are letters or epistles, and then there's the prophecy book of the New Testament, Revelation. And there are those books of the Bible, those books of the New Testament that you see listed there. The history books, the first four are Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they cover the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus while he was here on earth. Those are the Gospels. Another history book of the New Testament is the book of Acts, and that records the history of the start of the early church. If you've ever wondered about how the church got started and how it's begun to grow, what they valued back then, how Jesus empowered it to go, you go read the book of Acts. Then it's followed by these letters, and they were letters that were written actually to the, many of the churches that were started uh, during that re recording in the book of Acts. And the purpose of these letters for then and today is to show the significance of Jesus and how he affects our day-to-day -day life. That gets us mostly through the New Testament. But a quick summary of the New Testament is just when the good news came. It's not all bad news in history. There's some really good news, and the best news came through Jesus Christ. And the New Testament tells a story about when the, the good news came and how it started to spread. Jesus came to earth for a variety of reasons. Here's at least four of them. We're going to walk through these four briefly today. He, he came to reveal God and his kingdom, number one. Number two, he came to fulfill the Old Testament the law and the prophets. Three, he came to rescue us from sin and death and the enemy. That deserves a right on or an amen or a woohoo, at least on the inside, okay? Because that's, that's real implications for me and you. And then four, he came to establish his church, a people who bring glory to him and, and, and draw people to him. So we'll start right at the beginning Jesus came to reveal God and his kingdom. You go to the book of John, and in John chapter one, verse 18, it says this about Jesus. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. So a huge part of Jesus' coming is to make God known. If you've ever wondered, what is God like? Get to know Jesus. The full scope and of expression of the heart of God, the qualities and characteristics of God, how he would handle certain situations are fleshed out, lived out, born out in the person of Jesus Christ. You get to see him in the way he operated while he was on earth and get to know him better. 
You wanna get to know God like a whole bunch of people are trying to figure out God, you just gotta get to know Jesus. He's made himself known. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Then John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we find out that the word becoming flesh was Jesus. You can go back to John 1.1 and substitute out the word word for Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And then he came. He came and and took on flesh, walked among us, got down in the muck and the mire of our messed up world to show us what God is like, to show us his kingdom. Because one of the things Jesus does right away is he starts preaching about a kingdom, that he came to usher in the kingdom. And, And a kingdom has a king. Who's our king? It's Jesus. And a kingdom also has kingdom people. And it has a kingdom culture, a kingdom ethic, a way that it operates. Now in their day, when when Jesus came and they knew that this king was coming, when they thought kingdom, they were only thinking about Israel. They were only thinking about their territory and their people and that Jesus would conquer their enemies. Now here's the cool thing. Jesus did come, and he does have a place in mind, and he's got some people in mind. It just happens to be all people. And he had some defeating of enemies in mind, but it had to do with all enemies, including the greatest one, our spiritual enemy. And so he comes to usher in a kingdom, and he wants to let him know when he's in this trial nearing the, the, the crucifixion. In John chapter 18, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom's from another place. His kingdom is so much more than you could possibly imagine. And it's a beautiful thing, the kingdom of God. The the, the culture of the kingdom of God is worth noting. If you read Matthew chapter five, Jesus gives his sermon on the mount. Go read that this week. And when he describes the kingdom of God there, it's a beautiful thing. He he says, blessed are the, blessed is he who, blessed is she who. And and these blesseds are descriptors of what the kingdom of God is going to be like. What he came to bring. And you and I are going to experience it in part now and then someday in full. The kingdom of God. If you're taking notes, Get the camera ready. With God and his kingdom, spiritually bankrupt people are made rich. God and his kingdom, grieving people are finally comforted. God's kingdom is filled with a bunch of humble people who are being blessed in the midst of their humility. People that are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, they're They're filled up. In the kingdom of God, merciful people are always shown mercy. In the kingdom of God, pure-hearted people, they connect with God on a very, very deep, intimate level. In the kingdom of God, peacemaking people, they're God's kids. In the kingdom of God, persecuted ones, insulted ones here, they'll be made whole 
there. Now, I just lay out a list of those things that Jesus listed uh, describing the kingdom of God. Are any of those compelling to you? Are any of those magnetic? Do you desire to see like any of those take place in your life, the life of your family, our country, this planet? Of course, this is the stuff that we want in our heart of hearts, and it's the stuff that Jesus himself ushered in with the kingdom, and it's where this is all headed. Right on, amen, Woohoo! This is big. He came to reveal God. He came to reveal his kingdom, but two, he also came to fulfill. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. What are the law and the prophets? the Old Testament. He came as a fulfillment of it. Now just to be clear, um, Matthew chapter five, verse 17, look at what Jesus says. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So here's another clue right from his mouth, why he came, and it was to fulfill the Old Testament. He came as a fulfillment of. He didn't came to stop it, do away with it, do a do-over on it. He came as a completion of it, the satisfaction of it, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. In other words, what it means that Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets is this. The Old Testament promises, they were all realized in the person of Jesus. All those prophecies, hundreds of years before, Jesus and Jesus alone fulfilled them. Two, all the requirements of the law, they were upheld and obeyed by Jesus. Jesus didn't skirt it, he didn't disobey it. He upheld everything that the Old Testament scriptures had said. And there was no sin or imperfection found in Jesus and all the ceremonial practices of the law, they were satisfied by Jesus. There's a lot of ceremony in the Old Testament. And when Jesus comes, he comes as the sacrificial lamb with a capital S and a capital L. And that Jesus came to ceremonially do something on the cross that had been played out in this little drama with animal sacrifices, a lamb was sacrificed. An actual lamb, it had to be spotless, it had to be perfect. And here comes the perfect spotless one to take the sins on himself for all mankind, not just for a little group of people. And so he fulfilled all of these things. In other words, Jesus is our great high priest. He's our great prophet, he's our great king. And he came to represent us in a way that we never could because he was perfect and he was sinless. Our Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. He came to represent us. See, to represent us, he needed to become human because we're human, right? But in order to conquer death, to venture into death, it took someone divine to do that. 
And so the only person fit for the job would be someone who is both human and divine. That's Jesus Christ. And so he came to reveal God in his kingdom, but he also came to fulfill what was written about him in the, the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. And then three, here we go. He came to rescue us. He came to rescue us from sin and death and the enemy. Now this is massive because without his rescue, we would still be lost. See, in the Garden of Eden, there was no death. Outside the garden, we die. And so Jesus came outside the garden and came into death with us to rescue us. If you've ever been to a football game, then you know John 3.16. If you ever watched one on TV and you look in the end zone, I guarantee it, you look at today, and there'll be somebody in the end zone with this on some banner that they've written for good reason. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. When you love something that much, you give. When you love someone so much, you give. You give your time, you give encouraging words, you give acts of service. Greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. You really some, love someone, you'll die for them. God loved you so much that he was willing to give his one and only son. Jesus loved you so much that he was willingly obedient to that mission. He said, yep, I'll do it for my people. I'll go. I'll give of myself. You can tell how much you love something by what you're willing to sacrifice. Jesus loved me and you so much. The Father loved you so much. God, the Spirit loved you so much that they gave. They gave. So that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but he came to save it. Which is so refreshing, right? When you struggle, when you fail, when you mess up, God's not there wagging the finger at you, shaking his head, how could you, I can't. Does sin hurt you? Does sin wreck you? Does it hurt God's heart? Yeah. But does he get it? Mm-hmm. That's why he came, because he knew what we were stuck in. We knew we'd be lost. We knew we'd be dead without him. And we needed a rescue. Hebrews chapter two says that. Hebrews chapter two, verse 14, and on, can I read this? It says, since the children of their flesh and blood, me and you, flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. See, the devil loves death. Death in the Bible means separation. When death referred to in the scriptures, it means separation. There's a physical death. All of us are gonna die someday. We'll breathe our last breath. And at that moment, there's a separation. Our soul or our spirit is separated from our physical body and the spirit continues on. But there's another kind of death. It's a spiritual death and that is a separation from God. And that happens any time that we sin. We were not created for this. We were created to be in intimacy with our creator. But sin messes it all up. 
and it separates us. Think about it. When you sin, when you disobey, there's like a fracture. There's an internal separation. It separates you from you. When you sin against someone else or they sin against you, did it bring you closer together? No, it separates you from them. And when we sin, it also separates us from a holy God. Now, if that were the end of the story, then we'd really be lost. But God, recognizing that separation and not wanting that separation for, to, to last for eternity, Jesus says, I'm gonna put a stop to it. And so he broke the power of the devil. And, and he came to free those, verse 15 says, they were all held in slavery of the fear of death. For it's surely not angels that he helps, but Abraham's descendants. And for this reason, he had to be made like them. Fully human in every way, this is the gospel, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. See, in his humanity, when Jesus came, he came and because of the humanity that he shares with us, he gets what it's like to be you. He knows what it is to struggle in our humanity. He understands, he can relate. He sympathizes with you when you struggle. But now in his divinity, he, he steps in and intercedes on our behalf. He's protecting us from the enemy more ways than we could possibly imagine. He's interceding in prayer for us to the heavenly father. He's constantly got our best interest at heart. And his heart's desire is, I wanna be close. Where the enemy has death and separation, I've got life and I've got closeness and I've got intimacy in your heart of hearts and for you in your relationships and with me in a relationship with me. And I know you couldn't pull this off on your own, so that's why I came. I came on the cross to reconcile, to fix a broken relationship that you and I had with God. And as a God of justice, he hates sin, he hates death. Do you know God has wrath? God's got wrath and anger about things that are gross and disgusting, sinful things. All this junk going on across our planet, whether it is war or child abuse or anything in between, a prideful heart, God can't stand it. He hates sin, he hates death, he hates the enemy and the work of the enemy. He doesn't hate you, he doesn't have wrath toward you. But in his justice, I'm glad he's angry about some things. There are a lot of things that we should be righteously angry about. And I'm glad God has that. Otherwise, all of this sin and destruction and hurt and harm that we do to ourselves and other people would just continue forever. But God's gonna bring an end to it. He starts by doing it in our hearts through Jesus and hoping that makes a turn. And someday he's gonna bring a full culmination to it where there's ultimate healing then there is no more pain and no more death and no more sin and no more works of the enemy. But in the meantime, he's given us Jesus 
The summary of the gospel might be put this way. Jesus came to rescue us from the wrath of God by the grace of God for the glory of God. He came to rescue us from the wrath of God toward sin and death and the enemy. By the grace of God, meaning I I didn't earn this, I didn't deserve this rescue. He initiated it. And it's only the perfect, spotless obedience of Jesus that I inherit. Now, my obedience matters, but I could never be perfectly obedient. But here's what Jesus did at the cross. Some of you know this already. If you don't know this already, this is the best part about the transformation that Jesus brings. It's a whole trade that he made. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, that's a trade that Jesus offers. And I encourage you to take Jesus up on this trade if you have not done so already. Here's the trade that he offers. You know when you trade people when you were kids? You trade toys with each other? My my daughter will will trade a, a stuffed animal with a friend's stuffed animal. You trade Pokemon cards with each other. Sometimes you get a good deal, sometimes you get a bad deal. I got a bad deal at one of those Christmas trades, that lame, what is that, that white elephant? Oh, I hate that garbage. Because one time I, I paid money for my gift that I gave away, and then you trade. I gave away a Best Buy gift card, and in exchange, I got somebody else's grandma's used socks. That's the worst trade of all time. But the best trade of all time is the one that Jesus offers me and you. The best trade is what he offers. It is this. Jesus says, hey, trade me this. You hand me your sin, and I'll hand you my righteousness. How's that for that trade? How's that a good trade? That's a great trade. Now, that's a lopsided trade. But Jesus says, that's what I came for, to rescue you, to take on sin, take on death, take on the enemy. I'll take your sin, I'll wade into death, and as the divine one, I can venture in and reconcile, I can deal with it. I'll take all the punishment that you deserved on me, and you get to go free. You not only get to go free, but now all of my perfect righteousness, I credit to your account. It's not just saved, it's a whole identity change. Now you go from being an enemy of God to a friend of God. You go from being guilty to not guilty. You go from being unrighteous to righteous. Those are the truth descriptors about you. That's what Jesus has done for me and you. He set us free, he's rescued us from so much and then he's given us so much. All for his glory. All I'm saying, these are just a handful of reasons why he should be in the driver's seat. So what's seen at the cross? It's a beautiful thing, the cross. Yeah, it's an instrument of death. Christianity is the sole religion, world view, spiritual perspective that offers God stooping down to the level of creation in order to rescue them. 
Every other one is some variation or permutation of what we do to earn our way in, earn the love of, essentially rescue ourselves. How's that working for you? Jesus instead says, I've seen it since the beginning. You're gonna need some help. And so I'm coming for you. And I'll stoop down, I'll take on humanity, I can represent you, but I'm also still divine so I can still rescue. And he did that at the cross. And so we don't do this very often, but we thought it would be appropriate today for us to take communion during the message. If you've got the elements there, you can go ahead and reach down for those. You've got those on the way in, hopefully. And you take the bread, and before you eat it, this bread represents Christ's body. I always thought it was interesting. On the night he's with his disciples and leading them in the first communion, it says that he took the bread and he broke it. Now, some of that was just necessary. He had to break it off the loaf to hand it out. But that imagery, I think, would have hit home when they see his body broken just later. So would you take this bread here, and before you eat it, break it in your fingers. And remember Christ's body that was willingly broken for your sin so that you didn't have to be broken. And then eat it, remembering him. The same way he took the drink that represents his blood. And there on the cross, the irony of this life and death juxtaposition that as he's dying there on the cross and blood is literally coming out of him, his blood was shed. But blood is also what gives us life. And so the life-giving blood of Jesus was shed when he laid down his for you. When you drink this, remember him. So Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for all that he came to do for every single person. Those that are looking to you, Lord, just pray that you give them an extra measure of grace. Those that are fumbling around looking for you, would you reveal more and more of what you're like to them, just how much you love them. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen. And as we wrap this up, back to the timeline. So we've got to the cross. He raises from the dead, conquering sin and conquering death. He gives his, his disciples some marching orders at this point. Because now the good news is really good news. This is the greatest moment in history, what just took place at the cross because it is the rescue from sin and death and the enemy that all of us needed. Without the cross, we'd still be stuck. And back to the New Testament story, you would start to read now in the book of Acts and then help understand what took place in the book of Acts and understand what it is to 
be his people now. As you read through the epistles in the history and the letters and the prophecy that you see there. Do you know we live in an interesting time in history? We live a really interesting time in history. You see, in the Old Testament, Jesus was revealed through the law and the prophets. In the Gospels, he was revealed in person as he walked here on earth. And then he ascends back to heaven and leaves his Holy Spirit. And that leaves us currently in this amazing moment in time, in history, where Jesus is chosen to reveal himself through the church, through us, through his kingdom people. What a privilege, what an honor, what a crazy season for us to be alive. It's not just these scriptures or certain selected godly people pointing the way. And Jesus himself in the flesh is not walking amongst us, but he's left little Christs everywhere. His church, Jesus told his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey. And I know, I feel apologetic, but just these, these couple of weeks are a little more teachy than preachy. But I think there's some important time for us to come around some of this stuff. And Jesus wanted them to be taught the whole counsel of God as, as Pastor John talks about so often. But then he says something interesting in Acts chapter one. He says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. And this was the promise of the Holy Spirit. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, immersed. The Holy Spirit's just gonna overcome you. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you gonna restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? They still thinking this is kind of an earthly, temporary right here and right now sort of thing. And in Acts, he continues, he said to them, it's uh, not for you to know about that time or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. It's like the ripple effect. You drop that pebble in the water and the rings go out. Here the gospel has landed in the person and the work of Jesus. He passes the baton on now to these witnesses, these disciples, and they are now going to take the gospel, start in Jerusalem, it's gonna to expand to Judea and Samaria, it's gonna to go to the end of the earth. And after this, he was taken up before their very eyes, before their sight. So now we get the picture of where now the church starts to spread if you read through Acts and you read through the epistles, you'll see how that took place and what challenges they faced and what, what joy they brought, how the gospel started to spread. And you guys, you get it today, 2,000 years later, you and I are here as a result of what the people of God have done, what Jesus has done through faithful followers of his, the church, century after century after century. Do we live in Israel? No, we live in Indiana. 
This is a whole different ballgame here. How in the world did the gospel make it? It was because of Jesus' work in the church. I'll tell you, if this was just the work of man, we would have screwed this up a long time ago. Because the church can be just as messed up. But for the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of Jesus to his bride, the church, through this whole time, oh man, the ripple effect's massive. It started with a handful of Jewish guys, and now the church is for all people. Well, how did that happen? The New Testament explains how that happened too. How it went from Jewish people to also non-Jewish people, Gentiles. Ephesians chapter two says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by who? Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jew and non-Jew, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, there's the kingdom, out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. See, now the kingdom of God is open to all. The gospel is for all people. The good news of who Jesus is and what he's been doing, what he's all about, what he offers is not just for one group of people or that group of people. It's not, it doesn't matter what gender you are, what race you are, uh, where you live, how much money you've got, what sins you committed in the past, what you're gonna commit in the future. If you come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, it's all in. And then he'll start to transform your heart. He'll change the whole way that you operate. And he's been doing that now, century after century after century, such that we're here at this moment in history, a part of his kingdom that's continuing to build. 10 years ago, 13 years ago, this was written, this quote I found, look at this in a study, a comprehensive demographic study of more than 200 countries finds that there are 2.18 billion Christians of all ages around the world, representing nearly a third of the estimated 2010 global population of 6.9 billion. That was 13 years ago. Look, Christians are also geographically widespread, so far flung in fact, that no single continent or region can indisputably claim to be the center of global Christianity, wow. Look at this though, a century ago, a century ago, this was not the case. The number of Christians around the world has nearly quadrupled in the last 100 years, from about 600 million in 1910 to more than 2 billion in 2010. Well, that was 13 years ago. But what Jesus has done even in the last century is mind-blowing to me. What we also know about the, the way that this seems to roll out is that there is tremendous explosive growth at certain moments and seasons in history, followed by heavy opposition. It could be cultural, it's certainly spiritual opposition, and it can be seasons where there's a decline 
where there's a lukewarmness. But on the other side of that, here comes the growth again. Here comes the explosion. Why? Because God's still superintending his church. Jesus is still doing the work. And while Christianity is exploding across the globe in this last century, it's not necessarily in the United States of America. It is in other places. And that's why I think God's calling us to an awakening, a spiritual awakening. It says, have your eyes open. And what were the people of God supposed to be about? Is it just about attending a program or showing up at a building or whatever? No, this is a kingdom thing. This is submitting to Jesus the Christ. This is receiving all he is and what he's got for us. This is about taking our place in history for the good of the entire planet. So where is he seated in your life? I gave my life to Christ many years ago. But I remember it wasn't about a week later that I woke up and I wanted to drive instead of let him drive. Can you relate? Maybe some of you, you have yet to step into relationship with Jesus. You've yet to give the keys over to him and maybe it's clicking for whatever reason by the grace of God today. Maybe today's the day where you say, okay, I get it. I get who he is, what he's been doing. So Jesus, would you take the keys of my life today? I want you to sit in the driver's seat, please, Lord. And all right, shotgun, thanks for even making that possible. Forgive me of my sin. I believe you are the son of God that rose from the dead for me. Christians, maybe some of you have pushed Jesus from the driver's seat to the shotgun or the back seat or maybe even in the trunk. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe it's been a couple of days. Maybe it's been a couple of months. Maybe it's been a couple of years. The beauty is Jesus is not gonna jump from the car. He'll be patient with you. He may even let you crash the car. You might hear a tap coming from your trunk or from the back seat, a voice might speak up. It's him saying, are you ready? Could we switch seats? It's gonna be a lot better this way. I am the king of kings, I am the Lord of lords, I am the central figure of all history, so who but me should be driving? It's him, would you let him? Let's let him together. So gracious heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for these amazing people that you love so deeply. Thank you for your patience with every single one of us. Thank you for your faithfulness for all time. Lord, for those that are yet to step into that relationship with you, would you prompt them? Would you keep showing them who you are and revealing yourself? Would you keep loving them in a way that is so overwhelming and tangible? If that's you and you got a desire to step into a relationship with Jesus, you could just tell them that right now. And then would you tell somebody else? Would you... Maybe let us pray for you up front afterwards or tell a friend that you came with. Tell somebody online if that's you. Christians maybe just needing to reconcile a whole lot of who Jesus is with regard to where he sits in your life. If there's adjustments that need to be made, then you just need to confess and 
He's faithful and just to forgive. He'd love to get back in that driver's seat. So Father, keep building your kingdom, keep building your church. Keep doing what it is that you wanna do throughout history to redeem it and rescue it. Use us as you see fit. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen, amen. Love you, church. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.